Well, before I begin, I should probably apologize for my odd-sounding voice. Uh, my children have been learning about generosity in our home, and so they've been bypassing the Kleenex boxes and being generous with their germs, right to me. And so I, I sound a little bit different, but uh, healthy enough not to spread my germs around to the rest of you. I also wanted to begin by uh, just responding a little bit to the last two weeks as uh, we've had guest speakers here. Uh, for myself, when I was a kid growing up in the church, when we had a guest speaker, that was the absolute worst Sundays. I hated it when guest speakers came. I didn't know who they were. They were long-winded. They were boring. They had no jokes that were funny at all. And now I love guest speakers. And it's not just because it gives Brad and I a little bit of additional time and a break on a Sunday. But um, the last two weeks, wow. Like, anyone, anyone with me on, on this? Two weeks ago, we had Brad Julin. And he spoke on the meaning of the gospel. He spoke on, if we're going to really understand and live by good news, we better understand what the bad news is. I mean, that was, that was just awesome. Last week, Ron Taves was here. He shared his story of walking through pain and suffering. And how powerful was that? And I just wanted to, to remind you that if you didn't know about this or if you aren't doing this, you can go to our website. You can listen to past messages. It's easy to to download the audio. Our messages are also on iTunes if you want to download podcasts and do that while you're exercising or while you're commuting to and from work. And so if you've missed one or both of those messages, please go back, bypass all the messages that I've preached and Brad's preached, and uh, listen to those two messages again because they're so crucial to the people that we want to be here at, at Jericho Ridge. Just this past week, I sent three different emails uh, to, to people saying, you need to listen to Ron Taves' message on Sunday because it's going to make a difference. It's going to provide you with encouragement, and it's going to give you an understanding of how to work, walk through uh, the season that you're in right now. As I, as I listened to Ron speak last week, I found myself clinging to pretty much every word that, that he spoke. Um, his experience was so heartbreaking, and yet his words and his counsel was so soothing. I've known Ron for about 10 years, so I, I knew him before he faced uh, some of the adversity with losing his son. And so I was intrigued going into the message, how, how is he going to introduce this? How is he going to begin his message? How is he going to end his message? And, and I, I was just intrigued by how do you introduce a topic like that? If you don't remember, Ron began with a number of greetings. He uh, transitioned into what he had prepared, and then Anne-Marie was reading various scripture passages. And after she'd read the first one, Ron began with a question. He asked, do you know how to give thanks in all situations? And that was quite a beginning. That was quite a beginning to what he shared with us. I find beginnings and endings to be very intriguing in life. How a speaker begins a message, uh, how a novel concludes. Um, all of us have probably heard that first impressions make a huge difference. You only get one chance to make them after all. And as human beings, we're typically categorical, judgmental people. So we take new information that we get about someone or some topic, and uh, we quickly develop an opinion and a bias. And so it's no wonder that we place high priorities on first impressions. But final impressions might be even more important. I mean, how many times have you watched a movie that you've thought, wow, this is really good, I'm tracking with this, I like this, and then it ended in a way that you didn't like, and you think that whole thing was garbage. What a waste of time. I hated it. Or how, 
how often do you treasure your final moments of a significant thing in your life? Final moments of a family reunion. Final moments with a loved one who's no longer with you. Timing is really critical in our lives. It's important in most everything that we do. And I find that the most effective communicators understand the concept of the beginning and the end. This is why most of us probably don't know much of anything about Abraham Lincoln's famous Gettysburg Address, except for the opening line of four score and seven years ago. We don't know what happened after that now, really, do we? This is why many of us have never picked up a book by Charles Dickens, but uh, we know the phrase, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It's why in the world of sports, a team can be losing for basically the entire game, and then suddenly, in the final seconds, they can end up being the victor. It's why the names of second-place finishers are usually forgotten in Olympic history. The timing of meals is even important to us. Like most of us are raised and trained with the idea of, well, you kind of get through the difficult part first. You know, you have the salad and the vegetables and the main course, and then you get to finish with the finale. You get dessert. You get, you get the good stuff. Unless you're me and you were raised by my mother who says, you don't want to fill up on that stuff first. Like, let's start with the, ver- the dessert. That's, that's the really important stuff. Beginnings and endings seem to hold a disproportionate value to us. They make a difference. And they just seem to speak louder. Now, throughout this series on the genius of generosity, we've been jumping all over the Bible, and we've been looking at, at different topics as well, because we've been trying to focus on what does generosity mean. As, uh, as people of God, for those of us who are following after Jesus, there's a simple concept that, that we come to believe and live by, and that is that God has entrusted us with certain things, and because of that, there's an expectation of how we will manage what he has given us for a specific time. And so we've looked at different themes, and most all of these themes can be placed in a category that cleverly begins with the letter T. We've looked at the topic of time. We've looked at talents, which are gifts and abilities. Uh, We've looked at treasure, which typically means financial resources or resources of of another kind as well. Uh, We've looked at the topic of trials. What does it mean to actually be a good steward a good manager of our experiences, not just the joys, but the pain and the suffering, and how even that, as difficult as it may be, and as much as we may not want it, even how that can be entrusted to us. Now, today's topic doesn't fit into any of these categories, but it actually might be the most important topic of all when it comes to stewardship. And the teaching comes from the end of a letter. And so uh, when you think about the, the finality of this letter, there's sort of that that extra incentive of saying, uh, this is really important to the author of this book. It comes from a letter that the Apostle Paul has written uh, to his young apprentice named Timothy. It's in the book of Timothy. And he finishes his first letter to Timothy with these words. So if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're looking at verse 20 and 21, the last two verses of the chapter. So Paul has written uh, six chapters worth, and he finishes, these are his departing words in his letter, to Timothy. He says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Guard what's been entrusted to your care. Now, when I read this, I think of two questions right away. First of all, what has Timothy been entrusted with? Paul says, guard what's been entrusted to your care, and you got to think, well, what? Like, what topic is he talking about? And secondly, what does it actually mean for Timothy to guard whatever it is that Paul's talking about. If he's telling him, guard this, then what sort of action and response and behavior does Timothy need to apply in his life? 
But seeing how I've, I've already skipped all the way to the, to the end of the book, uh, we should look at the rest of what he says before we try to answer these questions too quickly. So I want to read the, the final two verses in, uh, in their totality so that we have a little bit of a better understanding of the context. So again, chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. Timothy, guard what's been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing idea of what's falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in so doing so have departed from the faith. Now grace be with you all. In a number of Paul's letters, uh, whether it's, it's to the Corinthians or, or the church in Galatia or uh, the Colossians, I mean, he's written a whole bunch of, of different letters to different churches throughout the New Testament. It's not uncommon for Paul to actually do some of the writing with his own hand. Back in those days, there were scribes, so it was usually a trusted friend, and, uh, and Paul would, would speak and the writer would write. And then sometimes, and, and you kind of get the sense of the importance of, uh, that Paul must have had during these times. At the very end, he'd say something about, hey, I'm, I'm writing this in my own hand. And it's also a bit of an indicator to the, the recipient of saying, this is, this is genuinely Paul here, and this last part's really important. He, he really wants to tell us this. And so, as an example, at the end of Galatians, Paul even says, see what large letters I used to write with my own hand. Now, to Timothy here, we don't have any clear indication that Paul's actually writing these last two verses with his own hand, but he does give us a couple of clues as to how important what he's about to say is to Timothy. First of all, he, he addresses Timothy directly. He uses his first name. He says, Timothy. And then there's something else that we probably aren't going to see in our own Bibles because of our translations, but in the original Greek, there's, there's a, a short word that's translated just as O. And we don't really use O anymore. I can't think of how many times I say, Oh, Curtis, you know, Oh, Oh, Curtis. He'd look at me like I'm very odd, which is typically how he does anyways. Uh, but it, it's kind of like, I don't think it's the equivalent of saying hey to someone when you want their, want their attention. Hey, Dave, you know, listen up. Uh, focus on what I'm about to say. And so he, he addresses it in this way. And in the paraphrase of the Bible uh, called the message, uh, verse 20 begins like this. Oh, my dear Timothy. And so it has this, this direct, important address, but sort of that warm pastoral feel to it as well. It's that attention grabber that he begins with. And then Paul transitioned into this two-part command. There's a, the first part's positive, the second part's negative. So he's saying, hey, Timothy, listen up. This is really important. I want you to do this, but make sure you don't do that. And so the first thing that he says is, guard what's been entrusted to your care. And when you think of that phrase, guard what's been entrusted to your care, it makes us think of stewardship. It's stewardship language. It kind of sounds like a parable that Jesus would tell throughout the Gospels of saying, you need to make sure that you take care of what's been entrusted to you. And so Timothy is being told to protect what he's been given. And the image that, that I think of right away is the game of, of keep away, which admittedly is probably not an official game. Uh, it seems like more of a way to torment kids, but you know, there's always a group of kids that someone snatches something or, or they try to keep something away from the person in the middle. And so that, that group of, of kids, whether it's three, four, or more of them, uh, they kind of play hot potato with that, with that game, right? And they want to make sure, hey, this has now been entrusted to me by the group, and so my number one objective is to make sure the person in the middle doesn't get it. And so they throw it around and they run around, and there's always that one child that at one point you know, thinks... She's pretty clever, he's pretty clever, and they stuff it under their shirt, or they, you know, they hide it in their pocket. They're taking extreme measures to, to make sure that what they've been entrusted with 
does, does not get compromised, does not get put back to that person that, literally, that, that originally wanted it. The literal command here in the New Testament is to guard the deposit. That's what Paul is saying. Guard the deposit. And it refers to the ancient practice of passing a commodity from one person to the other. You know, this is, this is before we had PayPal and some of these, these other electronic means that probably aren't guarded very well at all. But they would actually, they'd, they'd hire someone to pass one commodity to another. So Paul's telling Timothy, he's, he's telling him, guard the deposit. So what's the deposit then? What is he referring to? Well, there's a few different ways of looking at this, and different commentators have suggested different things, but the most likely answer, both within the context of this book and in a number of other Paul's writing, is the gospel itself. Guard the gospel message. And the gospel is what Paul has been charged with. He has been appointed by Jesus himself to deliver in his mission, this mission of the gospel, this explanation and living of the gospel, to the Gentiles. And part of his strategy for doing this is to bring along helpers. And so he's training Timothy to understand the gospel and to be a, basically his sidekick, his co-worker in, in accomplishing this mission. And so Timothy's being asked to guard the gospel himself as well as protecting the role that he has in Paul's mission. And for those of you who might be a little bit upset that our alliteration has come to a, a grinding halt, that we had our four T's and, and now we're stuck with this G, don't be worried. Al Thiessen reminded er, me earlier this week, uh, we can use T for truth, okay? So we've got five T's now as we look at different topics of stewardship. T for truth or G for gospel. And understanding the deposit as the truth or the gospel makes even better sense when we consider the second command that Paul gives Timothy in chapter 6, verse 20. Secondly, he says, turn away from the godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in so doing so have departed from the faith. So he basically says, he says, you need to turn away, turn your back on these other things, on this godless chatter and these opposing ideas. Now, for those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus, we are told to walk the balance of being the light of the world and of having our light snuffed out. We must consider the tension of being the salt of the earth and of losing our saltiness. Now, I'm not talking about being scared or intimidated or hiding from other ideas or other uh, worldviews and, and perspectives of faith. I'm talking about being wise and discerning kind of this tightrope between the two worlds that we live in. Jesus told his disciples, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And this happens to be the verse for our Bible memory challenge this week. So for those of you that want a challenge of memorizing the scripture, it comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, uh, when Jesus told his followers, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. But when I read the phrase godless chatter, that doesn't sound like a huge threat to me. What is godless chatter? Well, apparently it's serious enough that Paul talks about it and includes it at the very end of his letter. And he wants Timothy to be aware of it. Godless chatter is empty words. It's meaningless talk. And from the context of what we have here, it sounds incredibly vague, which may be an indication of its pointlessness in and of itself. Opposing ideas is an easier concept to understand. It's what we would traditionally call heresy. 
Now, heresy is one of those words that people don't use very often anymore. And when someone uses the word heresy or calls someone a heretic, it's usually as a punchline. But we shouldn't miss that a good part of the New Testament, especially when Paul's writing, he warns specifically about false teaching, about heretical ideas, about words and concepts that are opposed to the gospel message. As Brad Julin mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Paul jumped all over the church in Galatia because they began living under the law again. They tried to justify themselves by doing good. And that's at odds with the gospel message. And Paul understood, hey, we need to turn away. We cannot go back to this false way of living. It's heresy. So the godless chatter and the opposing ideas, they actually cost some people their lives. They lose the faith. They turn away from the faith. And this still happens today. Heresy was not something that happened at one point in time. Heresy is here to stay. Anything that runs counter to the gospel message of Jesus Christ is a threat to our lives. And this is what Paul is warning Timothy about. Turn away from it. Notice that Paul does not say, avoid at all costs. He says, turn away from it. Just as the deceivers of the gospel have turned away from the truth, uh, Paul is telling Timothy to turn away from their deception and their pointless conversation when the gospel message is at stake. Earlier this week, I was uh, having an interaction with one of the members here of our church, and uh, I learned that he and his wife had decided to turn away from a friendship that they had had with another family for a number of years. They were very good friends. Uh, They were both uh, believers in Jesus and committed to their faith. But as I understand their situation, their interactions with this family began to threaten how the gospel could be realized in their own lives. The relationship became harmful. It became toxic due to the differing differing worldview and the practices of these other uh, people. And so they made the tough decision to turn away. They chose to distance themselves from these individuals because of the danger that they were presenting and because of the impact it was having on their lives. And I applaud them for doing it. I think they, added, they acted wisely. doesn't mean that they completely ended the friendship and they're avoiding them at all costs, but they've turned. They've turned and they're distancing themselves because of the threat that was presented. Let's remember that the command to turn away from false teaching flows from Paul's first command, guard the deposit which seems to indicate that the opposing ideas and the godless chatter that Paul is speaking about, it's serious enough to be a legitimate threat to the safekeeping of the gospel. It means one of two things. Either they threaten the integrity of the gospel, or they run the mission of the gospel off course. It's as if Paul is telling Timothy, don't get involved in these useless, meaningless, petty conversations And beware of these opposing ideas because one of two things is going to happen. It's either going to compromise the gospel or it's going to distract you enough that it's going to hurt your mission and what you're trying to do that I've given you instructions on and what the gospel itself is telling you how to live. Just as a banker will protect an investment, a wise steward of the gospel will ensure that the deposit is not compromised. Just as a military general cannot deviate from the mission, A wise steward of the gospel cannot be distracted by meaningless activity. So what does all this mean? What does it actually mean to guard the deposit? What does this look like? How can we do it? Well, I think the first step to acting in a way in which we understand the gospel is that we have to understand what the gospel truly is. I think this is part of why 
I so appreciated what uh, Brad Julin spoke about a couple weeks ago. We have to understand what the gospel truly is if we're going to protect and guard the gospel. Because you can't manage what you don't know you have. That's a stewardship principle. You just can't manage what you don't know you have. You can't be generous with your own gifts and your abilities that God's given you if you don't know what your gifts are. I mean, you just can't do that. Uh, that that's part of the reason why uh, Pastor Brown, when he spoke on gifts and abilities, he suggested that we go through that assessment of figuring out what has God entrusted me with? Because you can't be a wise steward of something that you don't know that you have. The same is true in, in our financial lives. You can't be generous with your finances if you have no idea what's coming in and what's going out. It's just poor stewardship. How, ca- how can you say, I'm being incredibly wise when you don't have any idea of what's actually happening? That's the same thing with this topic, with the topic of the gospel. You can't be generous with the gospel if you don't really know what the gospel is or what it does or why it's significant in your life. The gospel means good news. And as Brad Julin taught us a couple of weeks ago, the good news is not just that Jesus saves us from our sin. The good news is that he gives us new life. This isn't past good news. This is ongoing good news. The gospel does not just take care of the past. It frees us for our future. The old is gone. The new has come. And the power of darkness has been defeated. Which means that there's no more power over us. Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. This means that the gospel message is really a new way of living. It's a way of action. But the good news only becomes good news if we choose to live in a way that allows the Holy Spirit to empower us. This means that guarding the gospel is not wrapping our arms around the Bible and holding it and protecting it to preserve its words. Guarding the gospel is living out the new life that the gospel is all about. Which is why Philip Towner writes in his commentary on 1 Timothy, he writes this, Timothy's responsibility to the gospel is paramount because it is Timothy's and therefore the church's positive and faithful use of the gospel that constitutes its guarding. See what he's saying here? He says it's our positive and faithful use of the gospel that essentially protects it, that constitutes its guarding. So how do we guard the gospel? By living it. We guard the gospel when we live by the gospel. Listen to how Paul reinforces this point in some of his other writings. This comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. He's speaking here about the gospel, the mysteries God has revealed. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. You catch what Paul's saying here? He's saying that he's been entrusted with the gospel, and since he's been entrusted with it, he must be faithful to it. He must live it out. That's how he guards it. That's how he protects it, by living by it. First Thessalonians chapter 2. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our heart. And then these words to the Philippians. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. We are generous 
with the gospel when our lives become living testimonies of the good news. We protect the gospel when we rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit who mysteriously produces things out of us that we never could have imagined. Things like love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit begins to produce these things out of people like you and me. Dr. Dave DeVries is an author and a blogger who says this about stewardship. He says, God entrusts us with material goods which we must steward. Yet more importantly, we must steward the mysteries of the gospel. This means we must both know the gospel, live the gospel, and share the gospel with others. We must know the gospel, we must live the gospel, and we must share the gospel with others. These three components, they work together in our lives. The Spirit uses these three things together to bring us in closer relationship with Jesus. We can't share the gospel unless we live the gospel. And we can't, uh, we can't uh, live the gospel unless we know the gospel. But as we allow the power of the gospel to transform our lives, this cycle becomes a natural outworking of the Holy Spirit. We will know, we will live, and we will share. We guard the gospel when we live by the gospel, which means that the pathway to becoming a wise steward of the gospel is marked with knowing it, living it, and sharing it. And as a church, we want to do all of these things. We want to make the gospel known, we want to live by the gospel, and we want to share the gospel. So for you, depending on uh, what sort of a part of this gospel message you're grappling with at the moment, you may have a different action this morning. Some of you may still be, be uh, thinking about, well, what is this gospel message? What does it mean to know the gospel? Um, I suggest that, that you initiate a conversation with Pastor Brad or myself to get a better understanding of what does it mean? Well, what does that look like of, of of living a life formally and now living a transformed life, of giving my life, uh, giving my, my allegiance to Jesus and living according to his ways in order to experience the abundant life that he promises his followers. If you're struggling with a life circumstance and you're not sure what to do in order to live faithfully to the gospel, uh, I suggest that you speak with a member of our prayer team. Laura and Brad and myself will be available to, to listen and to pray with you as you would like. Maybe some of you are overwhelmed with the idea of sharing the gospel with someone. I know that our Guatemala team is preparing to do just that, to live the gospel, to share the gospel with those that they come in contact with. People on the team might be a, a great individual to talk with about that, encouraging one another to share the gospel with one another, have, a, have an idea of what that looks like in each of your situations. Maybe that's your next step is having a conversation with someone on the Guatemala team about what they will be doing and the courage and the boldness that you can each pray for one another as you seek to share the gospel message with those around you by how you live it and by how you know it. We guard the gospel when we live by the gospel. And the gospel is the only thing in this world that has the power to provide us with new life. Let's spend a moment in prayer and then the prayer team will uh, make themselves available, and we'll sing a couple of songs in response. Lord God, we thank you for the gospel message because we know it is the power of Christ Jesus 
to save us and transform us for the new life that you provide us. Uh, Lord, this morning, I, I pray that your spirit would be at work in communicating to us the actions that you would like us to take. I pray that we would be mindful of your gospel message, Lord, that it is by grace that we have been saved, that you have given us new life. And I pray that through this message, you would provide us with that urgency and with that desire to live more faithfully to it and to be ambassadors with our life and spreading it around those that we come in contact with. Uh, God, I pray that the, the words of these songs will minister to our heart as, as we think about the gospel story of how out of your great love you came to earth, Jesus, to give your life up for us so that we may experience the new life that you provide. God, we, we are thankful for your grace and we give you all glory and honor this morning. Amen.